Hey, I want to get into part two of the Justice Wars. Um, we did part one last week. I'm going to have that up and, and running on our podcast here by tomorrow, along with this one right here. Uh, last week, we took a quick look at some, some different social groups and what they mean by the word justice. And today, we're going to kind of look at the Bible idea of what it is. Uh, so there's, there's many current political groups and social groups and, and sometimes even religious groups, it seems, uh, that seem to have a very different meaning of what justice is than what the Bible says. And the reason I, I, I kind of fight for the ground here about the word justice is because the, the word justice and the idea of justice is, is kind of a Bible idea. It's kind of a Bible idea. Our whole justice system is really built upon the idea of what God says is just and right in the Scriptures. So uh, we, we, that word kind of belongs to us in this country. It kind of belongs to the church. It belongs to the Scriptures. And I, I really want us to to kind of take some ground and, and look at some things so that we have a firm foundation that we know what we mean when we say justice uh, and, and what I believe the Founding Fathers meant when they had the idea and it was added later in the pledge, liberty and justice for all. So, uh, so as followers of Jesus, we got to be very careful who we make our alliances with and make sure that we're on the same page and, and, and the idea of justice and our pursuit of it doesn't violate the teachings and values of Jesus. I, I believe that'd be real important for us. So uh, we're going to talk tonight about this subject right here. What does the Bible say about justice? Look at that, looking at the justice wars. I want to start in John 16, verse 7 through 11. I want you to hear the words of Jesus right here. And I want you to see if you can find the three things that he is very, very concerned about. Jesus says this, Nevertheless, and all these scriptures we're going to cover tonight are right there in your notes. I got them printed out so you don't have to flip through unless you just desire to. Uh, you, you have them right there in your notes. All right, John 16, 7 through 11. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. All right, you hear all that Jesus is talking about, the Holy Spirit and, and the work of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is the only true God on this planet. Jesus sent him to be our comforter and our helper. And according to these words right here of, of Jesus, what three things do all people need to know about? What three things were it? What did Jesus say? The Holy Spirit's going to come and, and teach you these things and show you these things and convince you of these three things. All the people of the world need to know about these three things. What are they? What was it? Sin. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Right? Isn't that what he said right there? The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to convict us and teach us about sin. Now, sin in, in the scriptures is, is like missing the mark. It's like breaking the commandments. It's like breaking the relationship that God has put in place for him and humans to have and humans between humans to have. So the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to teach us and convict us about sin. He's going to show us and convict us about righteousness and I like the word righteousness. If you were to go back right here, the word righteousness, if you just take off all the suffixes off of the word righteous, what are you left with? What's the root word? Right. So the Holy Spirit is going to come and teach us and convict our hearts about what the right things to do and how the right way to live is. Right. And he's also going to convict us and convince us about this idea 
of judgment. So of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Of judgment. So, and God's going to judge sin, and he's going to judge the righteous. Jesus said it's imperative that we know these three things. The Holy Spirit's going to teach us. And that's what we're in. We're in the church age, we're in this idea of learning and understanding what these th three things really are. Okay? It's important. In fact, if you read some of the sermons that Paul preached in the book of Acts, we just have some little excerpts of certain things. He goes and he talks about these three things in his sermon. He, that's basically some of his three-point outline right there. As he talks to like King Agrippa and, and all those guys, he, he talks about righteousness and the judgment that is to come. You know? So it's real important to our understanding of what we know these three things are. And these three things are going to be real imperative that we understand concerning this idea of biblical Justice. All right, so now this is the way your notes are going to work. Uh, you've got some fill-in-the-blanks right here. I've got them kind of laid out on the screen, just nice, real and easy. Uh, just want you to be able to stay in touch with me, just these key points. You write them down and try to listen all at the same time, and I'll make a deal with you. Can I make a deal with you tonight? If I talk fast, you'll listen fast. Can we do that? All right, all right. So now, I just want to kind of give you, instead of trying to give you a definition of justice, I kind of want to just make some statements and, and wrap some, some ideas around some concepts of justice because this idea of justice or righteousness is, is like one of these mega themes in all of Scripture. So Lord willing, we're going to spend the next few weeks just kind of unpacking some of this and looking at what the Scripture says about having justice towards the poor and justice towards the least and all those kind of things. Jesus is very plain about how we should uh, behave in this idea of justice or righteousness. All right, so concept number one we're going to cover right here. Justice is this, doing the right thing in any given situation. Doing the right thing in any given situation. So if it's a situation that God is doing, it's that we trust God to do the right thing. If it's a relationship issue we're working out or we're just living together, if justice is between us, that means that we strive to do the right thing by each other. And in the scriptures, it's, it's always this idea. It's righteousness for righteousness. In order for it to be true righteousness or true justice, it has to be right for you, Paul, and it has to be right for me. If we're, if we're in a business transaction, righteousness for righteousness, the, the idea of justice in that kind of idea, if we're in a business transaction, it is not a righteous business transaction unless it is a good transaction for you as maybe the seller, and it's a good a, a transaction for me as the buyer. The whole idea of what God says about civilization or society, what it should be built upon, is this idea of right for right. It should be right for you. Because if it's right for you and not for me, then it's wrong in the Bible. You understand that? Or if you're not making a profit and you're selling something and I take it from you without you making any profit, that's not right. That's just not right for you. You understand how that works? You know what I'm talking about? Even in a moral decision, the moral decision can't be just, if it's godly morals and godly righteousness, it can't be just right for you. It's got to be right for me, and love tries to make that happen for both of us. So now some related biblical words as you're reading through the scripture, and this is just a few of them. Related biblical words is the idea of justice or just. The just shall live by faith. You hear the Bible talking about that, the idea of the just and then there's the, the, the idea of righteousness, which we see that word peppered all throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament, the idea of righteousness. And that's the idea of being right with God and being right with your fellow man, which will help you be right with yourself. Another biblical word related to this is the idea of judgment. We just saw that in John 16 as Jesus put righteousness and judgment together. Decisions have to be made and they need to be made on a, in a just manner or a righteous manner. 
And then there's the idea, it's kind of an old word, we don't say this kind of thing anymore, but the Bible uses this word called uprightness or the upright in heart. You may have read that in some scriptures and seen that, that God says that justice is about people being upright. And it could, could even have the idea, because when I think of upright, I think of somebody who may be bowed down with too many weights and too many cares. Jesus addresses that subject, actually. And what Jesus wants to do is set us free so that we can be upright and walk straight on the straight paths of God. That's the idea. It's a picture word kind of thing. He wants us to live upright, okay? Not cowering down, not hiding. Then there's the idea of truth. Truth and justice in the scriptures are ever tied together, all right? So now some opposite ideas of the idea of justice is the word sin, the idea of sin. Sin is considered to be an injustice. We'll get to that in just a moment. Sin, injustice, so the opposite of justice would be an injustice that would be done or a wrong that would be done to someone. Or there's the idea of the just and the unjust would be the opposite of it. And the opposite of, of justice would be partiality, like favoritism or something of that nature. You know, our brother James, we'll get to that later in our, our studies. Uh, James 2 says that if, if a rich man comes into the, the sanctuary to worship, he says, do not show him partiality. Don't treat him like he's the king and the potentate coming in. We're so glad to have you. Honor him, but don't honor him in any different way than you would the poor man. Because that's not just. That's not right. That's not just. Because we're all in the image and likeness of God, whether we're rich or we're poor. And, and, and hey, listen, in Jesus, the playing field is leveled at the cross for everybody. Rich, poor, black, white, red, yellow. What, what's that old song say? Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Because see, Jesus came and he leveled the playing field for everybody. Which is good news. It's good news so the rich man's not lost in his pride. It's good news so the poor man's not lost in his poverty. And he brings us all up to the cross. So, and then there's the opposite of, of prejudices, bribery, immorality. Now just, just get this idea. Injustice, so we're, we're, this, this idea relating to justice, injustice is sin. Injustice is sin. If there's an injustice in the world or in your life or in my life, that, that is sin. Okay? Whether we're treating somebody bad or, or not honoring God the way we should, injustice is always considered sin in the Bible. Okay? So if somebody is, so if a judge is to take a bribe in the Bible, that's an injustice, and the Bible would call that bribe not just an injustice, it would call it sin. And the soul that sins will surely what? Surely die. But here's the other idea. Injustice is always sin, but here's the other idea. Sin always brings injustice. Because sin is self-centered. Remember I talked about the idea a second ago, if, if something is right, then it's got to be right for me and for you. Sin always sets it up this way. It's right for me. I really don't care about you. We've all done that before. This is just how I feel, or this is just what I want at whatever cost it might be. Sin always brings that into the world. Sin always brings injustice into the world. Sin always, it, it did in Genesis th chapter 3, and it will in your life and in your world when you sin. It has in mind at times. It brings an injustice. You see? And that injustice is usually, well, it's always a breakdown in our relationship with God. 
But sin, when it, when it is found out, always brings a breakdown in human-to-human -human relationships. You know what I'm talking about? It brings an injustice against somebody, something that's wrong. You see what I'm talking about. Here we go. Another idea about justice. Justice is built on love. Now, we're talking about biblical justice now. Justice is built on love. You see, the scripture's talking a lot about this, especially in the New Testament, especially through the words of Jesus. He builds his whole idea and understanding of, of the law of God, which we would consider to be the Old Testament. All the law and prophets, all of it hang according to Jesus and the Apostle Paul. They all hang on this idea of love. The idea of God is love. That's the biggest justice or righteousness that the world ever comes into understanding about is that God actually is love. Which means that God loves us so much that he will always do right by us. That's what that means. God is love and we are to love God. How, how did Jesus say we should love God? What, what did he say? Remember? All your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Because we want to do justice towards God, and we want him to be just towards us. We want to be in right relationship with God. We want him to rightly relate to us. That's the idea of love. But we also are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Or the way, I'd like to say it like this, love our neighbor the way we would want to be loved. That's the idea. And of course, Jesus, of course, Jesus when John 13 would come and say, here's, here's another new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you love one another. By this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another, one to another. You see that idea of love? Because God wants to bring true justice into the world and true righteousness. It has to ride on the back of love. Got it? So doing the right thing is to be motivated by love. It's not just motivated by the fact that I don't want to get punished. You know, we oftentimes train our children like that. And, and you know, there's, there's an element of good to that. Because con doing wrong things have consequences, right? But when it's boiled down to its purest sense, doing the right thing should be not because I just want to not get punished or that I want to receive a reward is that the heart changes and I literally do right by you because I love you. See, that's the motivation. That's, that's where Jesus is getting to. He's, he's saying, this is how the world is going to know that you're my disciples and I'm the Messiah is that you love one another just simply because you love one another. You're not trying to get something. You're not trying to manipulate a relationship. You know how, how disappointing it is when you find out that somebody cares for you or does something for you and their motivation is not pure. You know how terrible that is. When you find that out, you're like, oh, you've been, you feel like you've been had, don't you? Because we all need that idea of true love is to motivate our hearts to do the right thing towards one another. We're still growing in that. You see? And that's where Jesus, I believe, says that, that our righteousness has to be better than the scribes and the Pharisees. Is, they were just doing it maybe to be seen and heard by people or to be uh, um, promoted in their jobs or to be seen as powerful or righteous or pious and that, that kind of thing. That's why the, Jesus called them out on it several times, didn't he? You're just doing this so that you can be seen by people and people clap for you and do all those kind of things. Jesus said, that's not right. That's not what I want. 
So what Jesus wants to do is to come into our hearts. That's why it's so important for a man to be born again. And, and when he's born again, when a woman's born again, their heart changes. It literally is it's almost like Jeremiah would say and Isaiah would allude to this. The idea of you being born again is where God takes that stony heart. I believe Ezekiel says that stony heart takes it out and gives you a tender heart. You see, because what God wants to do is at the heart of the problem, he wants to change the human heart. And he wants to make our motivation Love And in God's eyes, when we love our neighbor the way we should and the way that he loved us, he said, that's how justice comes in the world. That's how my righteousness comes into the world. You see what I'm talking about? Love is the highest biblical ethic. The New Testament plays that out. Paul talks about that. James talks about that. That if you love one another, you fulfill the law of Christ. It's the highest biblical ethic when it's done properly. You see what I'm talking about? All right. Justice is built on love. Here's another idea about justice. Justice implies there is a standard of right and wrong for everyone. It's this idea of right and wrong. Now, modern thought brings in the idea of fairness and equality and all that kind of thing. The Bible doesn't really talk about that near as much. The Bible tends to go down the line about justice being the idea of this is what's right and this is what's wrong. Okay? The biblical words that describe it are sin and righteousness, right and wrong. Okay? Holy or unholy, just or unjust. And this idea of the standard, there's one standard of values to judge the conduct of all people. One standard. One standard. For everybody. The same. That's justice in God's eyes. Because if, if I have a different standard... Now, see, we oftentimes do this for, in, in, our, in our judgments of each other. We have... See, we want you to live to a higher standard than what I hold myself to sometimes. You ever seen somebody like that? Or been a part of a relationship like that? Well, they'll gossip and talk about you, and the next thing you know, they're in worse shape than you are. But we all have the same standard. Now, here's where this standard or values that God uses to judge the conduct of all people. This is where the idea of, have you heard the term moral relativism or relativism or no absolutes or believing in no absolute truth? Have you ever heard that kind of idea? It just kind of comes out of what's, what's sometimes called in apologetics secular humanism, that idea. This idea of moral relativism and no absolutes run into real problems with true justice right here because if you don't have any morals or no, no absolutes, then you have no standard, then it becomes hard to judge. So it's just my opinion or my, they say it like this, it's my truth versus your truth. So that's not a true statement because truth is just truth. There's no such thing as you having your truth. You may have your ideas, but there's only one truth. You understand what I'm talking about when you're dealing in an argument or, or trying to settle something? And that's what we, we come headlong into this idea in, in, in our universities and our cultures, or young, younger people culture. Uh, the idea of moral, moral relativism is taught very strongly. In other words, there's not a standard of right and wrong. If you think it's right, it's right. If, if you think it's wrong, it's wrong. But you know what's going to happen with your right and wrong and my right and wrong? What's going to happen to them eventually? They're going to collide headlong and somebody's right and somebody's wrong. You know what I'm talking about? 
Now, in this idea of a standard of right and wrong for everyone, what has been, let me ask you this question, what has been the go-to source or standard of justice in America since its founding? Anybody know what that is? What has been the go-to source or the go-to standard of justice or right and wrong in America since its founding? Anybody know what the go-to source has been? It's been the Bible. It's been the Bible for ever since those pilgrims landed foot on this soil. The Bible has stood as the go-to source in this country as right and wrong. You know, if I, if I, if, if I keep this series long enough, I, I think I'm going to talk to you about the idea of how the Bible has influenced our founding documents. I've, I've done the study in the past and, and taught it. It is absolutely fascinating when you see uh, the direct quotes of what's in our, in our founding documents or the allusions to what is directly in the Bible. It is amazing. You realize the idea of us having three branches of government? That's a Bible idea. It comes straight out of the Bible. It's amazing when you start seeing all this kind of thing. And for, for not to mention that, you know, many of the founding fathers, uh, you know, they weren't university professors and, and uh, they, were, they were preachers and farmers and people like that who went to church and uh, had extremely high morals. You know, they weren't perfect men and women. They weren't, there's no doubt. But the Bible has always been the source. It's not that we adhered to the Bible always as a nation. Obviously, we know that we didn't adhere to all of it. We hadn't done that in our own personal lives either. But the Bible is always set as the standard of right and wrong in our nation. I can promise you, in the forming of our nation, the Ten Commandments have been a huge influence. Huge. I mean, we, just, we could just take the Ten Commandments and just, the, the whole idea almost makes almost the, the majority of our civil law. You, you realize what I'm talking about. We'll get, we'll get into some of that later. You be interested in hearing some of that? <laughs> uh, maybe you will. <laughs> maybe I'll tell you whether you're interested or not, right? <laughs> All right, let's, let's keep going here. Justice implies there is moral accountability. We all have towards God. We're accountable to God. And we're also accountable to one another. Justice implies that, right? That there's moral accountability. So now let me ask you a, 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 a real important question. What is moral accountability? What, is it, what does it mean to be accountable? That, that we, we have to answer for our actions, right? Check yourself. Oh, boy, said check yourself before you wreck yourself. You know, that kind of thing. Is that we're accountable and we're accountable... First to God, and we're accountable to one another as well, aren't we? Now, how does Jesus, just give me a, just maybe one or two examples. How does Jesus teach about accountability? What is, does he say anything about us being accountable for our actions? Anybody remember anything? Anybody? Any examples? If I, if I t said anything to you about sheep and goats, would that ring a bell? Is that the sheep and goats would be divided one day and the sheep are the ones that hear his voice, do what he says, take care of the poor. You know, if somebody's hungry, they feed them. You know, those kind of things Jesus talks about. And the goats are the ones that say, um, I didn't say all that. Or I didn't do all that. And Jesus said, one day I'm going to take the sheep and the goats and I'm going to divide them up. Sheep on my right hand, the goats on my left. 
Jesus talks a little bit about when he sits upon his throne, that he will judge the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus makes no bones about it. He's not mushy about it. He's not evasive about it. He's point blank about it. That you and I will answer in this life to God and one another. And we will answer in the next life to God himself. He's, he's very plain about that, isn't he? Now, how, how is moral accountability instilled into our society? That's a little bit more philosophical. How, how do we instill it into our society or into our, let's just make it like our families. How would, how would you say is a good way to instill moral accountability into society or into your family? What would be a good way to do that? You stand on your word and you'll be the example of whatever you say you do. You teach God's Word. You learn God's Word. I mean, why do we gather together in, in fellowship and, and to hear God's Word proclaimed or taught to us and we get out our Bibles and we look and we see? Why do we do that? Because we know that we're morally accountable to God and we, want to, we literally want to know what is the right thing to do. We want to know. There's something inside of us that was called conviction that says, I, I, I'm not right, but I need to be right. That's the idea of moral accountability. That's good. That's good. You know, the Jewish nation was taught time and time again that the, the very best way to instill morality and moral accountability into a society is for mothers and fathers to teach their children the ways of God. You know, that's, that's, that's of ultimate importance. You know, the, the sad truth about the church right now. I mean, this is a sad truth, and I, I say it with tears in my heart. This is a sad truth that we're, we, we're, we're wanting to go and win the world for Jesus, but in the church, we're not even winning our children. That they're leaving by the droves. By the time they turn 18, 19 years old, they hit the door, and they don't necessarily even come back. It's happening right among us, you know. All right. Let's get this idea. Let's keep going. You can see each one of these really leads down a whole long trail. Another idea about justice. Justice implies that judgments or decisions have to be made in order to do, I say four things, it may be more. Justice implies that judgments or decisions have to be made in order to clarify, condemn, praise, or rectify certain actions and behaviors. So judgment... Judgments have to be made according to right and wrong, right? How do, how do we do that in our society? Well, we've got law enforcement that help us in that. They set, they set up as, as a standard of right and wrong, or, or at least a standard that if you cross this line, it's wrong and you'll be held accountable. That's part of it, isn't it? And then we have a justice system that's set up with, that's comprised of, of judges and lawyers and things of that nature to where they help in making judgments towards right and wrong. You know, the Bible actually talks a lot about judges and, and how important they are and how important it is that they are righteous and that they do justice and that a whole society can fall and cave in if judgments, if right judgments by judges and things of that nature aren't done properly. We know that to be true, don't we? We're kind of tasting some of that now. These judgments are to clarify what's right and wrong. 
these judgments are to condemn what's wrong. We need that part of justice too, don't we? They are to praise what's done right. And they are to help rectify. A judge, if we were in a court of law, a judge, part of his goal would be to help rectify a situation or the parties involved. Maybe they're at odds about a property boundary or something like that. Or, or maybe there's, there's a, a, a crime that's been committed or something of that nature. The judge is to bring some kind of uh, judgment in that situation that would bring clarity about what's right. It would condemn what's wrong. It would praise what's right. And it would rectify the situation to where the person who was wronged feels like they got justice to some degree. You see what I'm talking about? Judgment is the idea of setting things right. When you hear that word in the Bible, remember this about the idea of judgment. Because we don't always preach it like this as preachers. And God help us. Biblical judgment is always restorative in nature. You know, we serve a God of restoration. It's not even, I mean, God doesn't even like, like to punish the wicked, it says. It breaks his heart to even have to punish the wicked. You realize that? He will because that's what's right and has to be done to keep things together and to hold up his standards and to keep people protected. He will do it, but he didn't enjoy it, not at all. I don't have those scriptures in front of me, but I'll look them up later and, and get them to you. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, it says. Mm. Biblical judgment is restorative in nature. And there's a positive and negative dynamic to this kind of judgment. It corrects the wickedness and it sets things right. You see what I'm talking about? It corrects, corrects what's wrong. Sets things aright. All right? Now, I'm just about done with this part of it. We'll get to, get to some scriptures and I'll, I'll let you ride. Let's get this idea about justice. Here's the number one foundation of justice is that God is just. Will you say that with me? God is just. God is just. God does justice always. God, his word, and his ways are the foundation of justice. So we take God, we take his word, and justice is done. If we follow it. But if we take God out, and we take his word out of a society, of a human life, out of a family, if we take his word out, too often, the whole situation and all the judgments are left in the hands of sinful people, and what happens? It's an injustice that keeps happening. It keeps perpetuating. It grows. It grows worse and worse. All right? God is just. Now remember this before we look up these scriptures. Remember this. Set this in your heart. This is something like worthy to write in the front of your Bible. God is too loving to be unjust. And he's too wise to ever be wrong. You hear me? Just set it, set it in stone. And, and, you know, I have, I have to remember that God always does the right thing. Now, is it always the right thing in my eyes? No, because my eyes don't always see everything. And my little brain doesn't always understand what's best. So we have things that happen in our lives. We, we, we lose loved ones. We, we lose stuff. We may have changes in our lives and things happen. You know, 
But can we trust that God always does the right thing by us? That becomes a big foundation, doesn't it? Especially when you have something that rocks your world to pieces, really. That we have to stand firm, even though I don't see it today and I don't understand what he's doing, that when it's all said and done, God always does the right thing. You understand that? I mean, I think, I think of like Joseph's life. You remember Joseph's life? I mean, who would have thought that being, you know, thrown in a hole by his brothers, lied about that he was dead to his father, going through all of this turmoil and, and all of this injustice and all this unjust stuff that happened in Joseph's life for something like 13 years, who would have thought that God was working a plan? To put that young man right in the middle of Egypt, right second in command to Pharaoh himself in order to save the world. Who would have thought that when they saw all these injustices and all this death and all this chaos that surrounded his life? Who would have thought? Nobody. I don't think jo Joseph did either. Saving the world, he also saved his brothers that sold him into slavery. <laughs> and God had a plan to save Joseph, the world, and his people. Who, who would have been wise enough to work all that together? There's only one that's wise enough to never be wrong. Hmm. You see what I'm talking about. So I like what one, somebody said one time. Is that we've got to learn to trust God when we can't even trace him. Because we know that he's just. We know that he's kind. We know that he's good always. And he's too loving to be unjust. And he's too wise to ever be wrong. You hear me? Now, let's get this idea. Before we go, I want to get this foundation that God is just. All right. So um, you want to follow along with me? Anybody want to read with me? Read out loud. Anybody? Anybody mind reading for me? Miss Pat's going to read. Paul want to read. All right. Miss Pat, won't you start with that Deuteronomy 32 and then Paul, you read the next one. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of talk with you as we go with all this. All right. So if I interrupt you while you're reading, I just pick up right where we left off. All right. Can you do that? All right, Ms. Pat, why don't you read Deuteronomy 32? For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteousness and upright is he. Uh, somebody ought to just stand up and holler, yes. <laughs> and I mean, amen. God, his work is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of truth without injustice. It's not even in him. There's no darkness at all in him, the scripture says, and there's no shadow of turning. He doesn't turn away from what's right. There's no darkness at all. There's no evil. There's never any ill intent in his heart. There's no darkness at all in him. And to attribute such would be blasphemy. He's a God of truth without justice. Upright is he in all his ways. You see? Paul, you want to read that Isaiah 45. Assemble yourself and come. Draw near together, you who have escaped from the nation. They have no knowledge who carry the wood of their carved image and pray to a God that cannot save. Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient times? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord, and there is no other God besides me, a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. That's, that's an audacious claim. And you, you only say that if you truly are God. 
And he says that right there, that phrase right there is what I wanted out of that verse. A just God and a Savior. He, this, we're going to get to that later too. The, the, the just God who is perfect in all of his ways but yet has to save his creation because it's not perfect in all of its ways. You see what I'm talking about? All right, now, Carol, you want to read? Did you say you'd read for me? Read that Psalm 11, 3 through 7. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Okay, now that's a big statement right there. So if the foundations of right and wrong, if the foundations of justice, if the foundations of holiness, if the foundations of God, the scriptures and all the things that we hold dear in our faith, if the foundations are destroyed, what are we going to, stand, what are we going to build on? You know? I don't think it's a coincidence what's going on in our nation right now that there is absolute attack upon the foundations of this nation. That's not a, that's not a coincidence. All the, 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 like, like the stone is coming down, people are tearing down the monuments. What, what's that about? They're tearing down the history. Well, some of it may be up for debate. Let's talk about it. If, if, if things maybe need to be removed, let's talk about it. We have a legal process to go through all that kind of thing. We can, we can enter into conversation about some of that kind of stuff. But what's happening from a, from a violent and angry mob type standpoint is that the literal foundations of our founding fathers and all the things of our documents and all the things of all those kind of, of the history of our nation are being shaken right now. And there are people that are literally threatening to tear down. They say it like this. We're going to burn the whole system down. See what I'm talking about? There's an attack on the very foundations, you see? And if, those, and if we allow those foundations to be destroyed, you might as well pack it up and go to the house. It's, it's, it's game over. You see what I'm talking about? I don't mean to turn that into political, but I, I, I don't... See, you can't turn away politics, because politics is about life. It's just, it's just what's going on. Now, go ahead and read verse 4. Let's keep going before we get... In, over our heads here. It's in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. Keep going, verse number five. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. The kind of wicked he will rain coals. Fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. There's a whole lot right there, isn't it? Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone. You ever heard that phrase? You ever heard this phrase said, oh, he's a good old fire and brimstone preacher. You ever heard that kind of idea? It comes from that kind of deal. Now, what, what's the fire and brimstone story we have in the Bible? Remember? There's actually a fire and brimstone story we, got, we have in the Bible. The story of Sodom... And Gomorrah, where God rained fire and brimstone as a judgment. You see, I believe it's Genesis 19. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. And his countenance beholds the upright. All right, anybody else want to read for me? Anybody want to read Psalm 89? Ashley, you want to read that 13 and 14 of 89? You have a mighty arm, strong as your hand, and high as your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. So that idea of righteousness again. Right, you see righteousness and justice together right there. 
They're the foundation of the throne of God. Now, what does a king do? A king sits up on his throne and he rules. He sits upon his throne and he makes judgments. That's the picture that's seen right here about God. And mercy and truth go before him. And I'm glad it's mercy and truth and not just truth. I'm glad he mixes it with mercy because none of us could stand. Because if you, O oh Lord, were to count iniquities, who could stand before you? It'd be nobody. I don't have time to get into it, but Jesus is said in those ways about mercy and truth together, how they kissed in Jesus. You know. All right, Romans 1, 16 and 17. Anybody want to help me? Miss Linda, you want to read that for me? Romans 1, 16, 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, is, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and is written, and is written this judged shall live, live by faith. So the gospel, so, so really Jesus is the good news gift to the world, and He is the power of God to salvation for everyone. And you get to partake in it if you believe, no matter what nationality you are. For in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed. You see that right there? We could, we could just as easily put, without doing any damage to this text, for in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the justice of God is revealed from faith to faith. You could really say that. So it's through Jesus that we learn what's right. All right. And one last one. I want to read this one and we'll, we'll wrap it up. This is kind of a, a favorite scripture on this particular topic. You may have heard it before. It's Micah 6, 8. And this is God talking to us through the prophet Micah. He says this. He has shown you, God has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice or to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So the prophet would say, here's what God requires of you and I. There's three things right here. Did you see them? See the three things? What are the three things that God requires for us as his people? To do what? To do justice. To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You, you could write a life mission statement off those three things right there. You could build a society or a church movement or, or whatever you want to call it. You could build anything righteous and holy off of those three things right there. To do justice. Now what is that? You know, Jesus would look at the Pharisees and say, you go and learn what this means. God loves mercy rather than sacrifice. You go learn what this means about doing justice. You go learn what this means. What would it mean for us to do justice? Don't, don't answer me because it's a big answer. And it depends on the situation and what the, the circumstances and all that kind of thing. But what would it mean for us in every situation to do justice? Or let's just say it like this. What would it mean in every situation in our life for us to do the right thing? <laughs> it's a lot of thought. A lot of thought anchored by love. Anchored by loving God. Okay, how's this going to work out good for God? By loving others, how's this going to work out for me to love my neighbor or to love my brother and sister? 
to do justly. Not just think about it, talk about it. That's what we do in sermons and all that kind of thing. But it's not good enough for us just to hear about justice and to hear about right and wrong. It's not good for us just to hear it. We have got to do what? What's the most important word right there? To do it. To do justice. And to love mercy. You know, we talked about judgment earlier, but you know, our brother James helps us. Our brother James says that mercy triumphs over judgment. God says, I want you to be a people that love mercy. You find somebody in need, don't just judge them up and size them up and say, well, they deserve everything I get. Well, will you want to live in a world where everybody deserves what they get or gets what they deserve? You want to live in that world? There's not going to be anybody standing in that world if we all get what we deserve. So I want you to be a people who love mercy. You know why you want to be a people that love mercy? It's because you've been given much mercy by God. You see what I'm talking about? And to walk humbly with God every day of your life, every step. I, I like the picture right there. It's not just to live humbly with God. That would be right to say, to live humbly with God. But I like the idea of, of the word picture that's put there. And a lot of the newer translations, they take the word walk that's in the Bible and they use the idea of the word live, which is okay, but I like the picture. You notice in my preaching, I always take you to pictures. I always want to show you. Let me show you this picture of this word, what this says. Because that's something I can handle. I can grab hold of it and I can take it home with me. I can remember it. This idea of the picture of our life is this walk. And how do you take a walk? One step, One step at a time. And to walk humbly with God. That's how humanity started. That's how Adam started. Walking in the garden in the cool of the day with his God. He was humble. He wasn't lifted up in sin and pride. Because see, pride is, is a deadly thing for us. Pride is what turned angels into demons. It'd do the same thing for us. And God said, I just want you to walk humbly with me. <laughs> Those three things, that's, that's what he wants from us. Well, let's ask God to help us. Can we do that? I guess my main point today is, is, is I want you to see that God is just. He always does the right thing. It may take a little while for it to sort out. It's going to definitely take a little while for my mind to catch up. But in the process, I'm going to live from faith to faith and glory to glory, believing that God is too loving to be unjust and that he's too wise to ever be wrong. I mean, that's kind of the amazing thing that Job did. Job went through the most horrific few days that any human being could ever go through. And it says in all of this, Job did not sin with his mouth, nor did he charge God with wrong. Because there was something inside of Job that would say, God's too loving to be, to be. he's not going to be unjust towards me. And he's too wise. I don't, I don't know, I understand, but I'm not going to charge him because he can't be wrong. I can be, but he can't be. You see what I'm talking about? Let's ask him to help us with that because we, we really struggle with that one. Lord, help us. We're we just kind of delving in this subject tonight. Lord, we, we need your help. We need your help. We're living in a world that's unjust and even worse than that. Lord, we've got sin in us. We've got wrong patterns of thinking and wrong ways and, and habits in us, Lord, that take us down the wrong path and cause us not to do justice in our relationships in our communities, in our business dealings. So Lord, while we like to point our finger at 
society, we know that the real problem is not society. It's, it's rooted in us and in our hearts. So we ask you to help us. Help us. Help us to be a people who are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ in such a way that we are safe and secure and we can just absolutely give our lives away. We can do justice. We can love mercy. And we can walk humbly with you. Help us to be that kind of people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.